Ephesians 5.25 says, again, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I want you to notice some things with me immediately about this challenge. The first thing I want you to note is that nowhere in the Bible does it ever say, Wife, love your husband. Interesting. Now, the Bible says in the book of Titus that the older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands, but that's a different term for love. The term here is a term that is used in the Bible to represent the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's that term, the term agape, that is used here, and it is only used as a challenge for men to their wives. Husband, love your wife. Now, the term love is a term that represents the concept of sacrifice. Again, John 3:16. God so loved that he gave. Or, as it is expanded here in the text, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The idea of love, when the Bible says to a man, Sir, love your wife, is love her with a self-sacrificing love. The wife is never challenged to love her husband with a self-sacrificing love. I'll tell you why I think that's the case. You see, the Bible says that the man is the head of the wife. He is the head of the home. And some men kind of like that idea, and so men kind of respond this way. Well, you know, I'm the head. I'm the leader around here. God says so. That means I can do whatever I want to do. And then it's like God steps in and says, excuse me, leader, head, could I talk to you for a moment? You are the leader, but love your wife with a self-sacrificing love. And if you want the example, love her even as Christ loved the church. And the expression of that love, he gave himself for her. That's the challenge for the man. Now, there's lots of things that go along with a man's responsibilities, but this is the heart of it. If a man really comes to grips with what it means to love his wife, I think everything else will tend to fall into place, although we'll talk about some other things. But here's the challenge. Husband, love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Let's talk about some things that might be included in that challenge to love. Now, this term speaks, first of all, of self-sacrifice. But think of things that might be included. For instance, tonight we're going to touch on some things that are common among ladies, and we're going to touch on some things that are common among men. Now, the things we're going to talk about that are common among men are common problems among us. And the challenge to love our wives with a self-sacrificing love is, first of all, this. Love your wife enough to work on the things that are problems among us as men. For instance, women often say of their husbands, he will never admit when he's wrong, and he will never say, I'm sorry. 
Now we're going to be seeing this uh, weekend some things that might be considered problem areas for ladies. But here's an area that is a problem for man. Ladies, if you didn't know it before, it's the number one problem. Men have a problem with pride. And ladies say of men, he'll never admit he's wrong. He'll never say, I'm sorry. You see, what happens with us as men, ladies, if you didn't know this, is when we have problems at home, what we would like is that they would just kind of go away. Kind of like, okay, we had a problem. Okay, let's just kind of let it slide away. I don't want to have to deal with this. Instead of coming back and saying, I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Second problem area, procrastination. Ladies say that men are always promising to get it done. Yes, I'm going to do it. Yes, I'll get it done. Yes, we're going to go. Yes, I'll take care of it. Yes, don't worry about it. Yes, but it never seems to happen. Now, men, we, I know we have lots of things we work on. We're concerned about business. We're concerned about all kinds of things. But the ladies say, these guys are always saying it's going to happen, and it never happens. And the challenge is, love her enough to work on that problem. Third area, temper. Men sometimes have the idea that because they are men, there is somehow something manly about having and displaying temper. Sometimes men have the idea, well, look, I'm the man, so I can say what I want and do what I want. I can punch the wall, kick the dog, do whatever I want, because I'm the man. And that's part of being a man. That's not part of being a man. That's a great mistake. There is a man in the Bible who, interestingly enough, is described as the meekest of all men who had a temper problem, and eventually he paid a price for it. And that man was Moses. You might recall Moses sees the Egyptian beating up the Hebrew, and what does Moses do? He kills the Egyptian. That's kind of reactionary, isn't it? Moses goes up to Sinai, receives from the very hand of God the tablets of the law. He carries them down. He had just gotten them from God. And he sees the people in sin. What's he do with them? Throws them down and breaks them. Later on in his ministry, God will say to him, as the people are grumbling and complaining, no water, speak to the rock. Moses accuses the people of stubbornness and such, and he takes his rod and smites the rock. And he got water, but he sure paid an awful price for his temper. Because God said, Moses, you can see the promised land, but you're not going in. Can you imagine how he must have felt? All those years of that wilderness journey, and God says, you brought the people to the very edge of going in, but you're not going in. Because you did it again. Now, you may not have had to pay a price for your temper yet, sir, but if you've got a temper, you better deal with it. Because the time will come, you will pay a price. And it's not up to me to guess what it might be, but we'll pay a price. Let us love our wives and our children enough to recognize that there are problems that seem to be common among us and deal with them. Pride, procrastination, temper. I'm sure there are others we could talk about. 
I think love includes something else. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3 on Sunday afternoon at 5.30 for the ladies. But there is one verse in this chapter that is specifically given for men. It's verse 7. Here's what it says. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, you know what's interesting about this verse? This is another verse that is only given one way. And I think that's interesting in the Bible. And you ought to look for those kinds of things where instruction is given, but it's only given one way. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say, wife, dwell with your husband according to knowledge. It says, husband, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. I'll tell you why I think it's that way. Because I think God has built into women an understanding of men. Men, I think they have us figured out. Ladies, I think you have us figured out. I think you ladies know how men work. You kind of know what makes us tick. Now, is there a man here who would say, and I've got her figured out too? Eh, probably not. And God says, hey, sir, you may not naturally be able to figure her out, but here's your challenge. You are to dwell with her according to knowledge. That means you have to work at understanding her. First of all, as a woman, and then secondly, as an individual. You see, in case you didn't know this, there are differences between men and women. Did you know that? There are differences between men and women, and the man is supposed to work at understanding this lady. You know why? Because we're the leaders. We're the leaders. And as leaders, if we are going to lead our homes and minister to our wives and minister to our children, we need to understand them. Their needs, their problems, their burdens, whatever it is, because we're the leaders. Now, one of the differences between men and women is brought out right in this very verse. Notice it says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. You see, the lady's the weaker vessel. That implies the man is the stronger vessel. Now, how is the lady a weaker vessel? Well, there are two ways. First of all, she is weaker physically. God says to the man, sir, listen, you give honor to her because she's the weaker vessel. The idea is you take that wife of yours and you put her up on a pedestal. You love her, you take care of her, and you make sure nothing ever happens to her, and you make sure you're the last one who ever hurts that wife. You know, the lowest man there is is the man who ever physically strikes, pushes, abuses his wife. That's a low man. You give honor to her because she's the weaker vessel. But you know, ladies are weaker in other ways, and I want you to hear me out, both men and women. But you know, ladies are also weaker spiritually. Now, what do I mean by that, and why do I say it? To read Genesis chapter 3, you would not understand, just from reading Genesis 3, that Eve was deceived by the serpent. But when Paul writes to Timothy about leadership in the church, 
He specifically says, let not the woman usurp authority over the man. And he goes on to justify that teaching by telling us Eve was deceived in the Garden of Eden. And he says, because she was subject to deception, women are not supposed to usurp authority over the men. That means men are supposed to be in the position of leadership and authority. That's in the home. That's in the church. Among other things, it means there ought not to be women preachers. Shouldn't be women pastors. The Southern Baptists have ordained some 1,000 women to pastoral ministry. There's something wrong with that, folks. Others are doing that same kind of thing. God says this should not happen. There's a difference between men and women. Men have a role in which they are to serve God. Ladies have a role in which they are to serve God. And men are the leaders. God says so. There are other differences. For instance, as we will note, especially with the ladies, gals sometimes seem to struggle with insecurity and fearfulness. But men, I would normally say this in mixed company, but I'm only going to have the ladies tomorrow night, so I'm going to say it to you now. The fact is that many times you and I, as the man, contribute to her fearfulness and insecurity because we are not what we are supposed to be. We're supposed to be leaders who walk with God, who search the scriptures, who desire the will of God, and often our gals don't see that in us and they are afraid to submit to our leadership. Gals, as we'll also note tomorrow night, have a problem with willfulness. Gals also tend to be more verbal than men. I usually illustrate this by the phone conversation. We're at your home, the phone rings, and the husband answers the phone and talks for 15 minutes. And when he hangs up the phone, his wife says, well, what'd they say? And most men say something like this. Well, they said everything's okay. She said, what do you mean? You talked for 15 minutes. I know, everything's okay. We're no problem. Everything's all right. Phone rings and the lady talks for 15 minutes. She hangs up the phone. The man says, well, what'd they say? She says, well, I answered the phone. I said, hello. And they said, hello, how are you? And I said, well, I'm fine. How are you today? And they said, well, fine. How are the kids? I said, fine, I'm fine. You get a 15-minute dialogue, almost word for word, of what was said. Now, that's not necessarily saying that's bad. It's not necessarily good for a man to say, oh, everything's okay. Nor is it necessarily bad for a lady to give you a 15-minute dialogue, but there is a difference between men and women, and it's commonly known. Women also tend to be what somebody has described as a nester. It's an interesting little term. And what it means is that a lady builds her life around her home. It doesn't matter whether that home is just one room or whether it's a huge mansion. That's kind of her domain. That's her place. That's where she lives. That's where she thrives. That's her nest. And ladies tend to do all kinds of crazy things in that nest, as a man would view it. For instance, she puts plaques all over the wall. She has plants growing all over the place. She has little knickknacks on these little shelves. Uh, one that has come out not too long ago that I often make reference to is two candles with a wick coming out each candle. They never burn them, they just hang them up. You ever notice those? 
Now, men tend to look at all that kind of stuff and say, what a bunch of junk. But see, that's her nest. That's why gals always move furniture. Do you know that? Now, I have spoken on this many times and talked about the man coming home, the lady saying, hey, I want to move the furniture. But as I say that, I have ladies coming to me saying, you know, I move the furniture. <laughs> He's at work. I move the furniture. But anyway, you look at it, gals kind of look at that place and they want to move the furniture. I want to put it over here. I like to get that over there. I like to get it over here. And then it's, I think, no, I think I want this over here. And I want that over there. And I want this over here. And, and now here's how men are. Sofa, TV. For 40 years. And are very happy, right? Isn't that what we are? Because men don't care about that stuff. Men just want to sit there. But she's a nester. And a man needs to understand that. That's her nest. There's a verse in the Bible that I think gives us another insight. And again, it is only given one way in the Scriptures. And I preached for years before that ever sank into me a little bit. But here's what it says. It's first given in Genesis 2.24, but it's given elsewhere in the Bible too. It says this, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now for years I preached that. Well, you know, that goes both ways. Man leaves his family, wife leaves her family, and then one day it kind of dawned on me, you know, that verse only says it one way. It only says the man leaves his father and mother. Nowhere does it say she leaves her father and mother. Now, we understand that when there's a marriage, you know, you have a, a physical moving and, and you get your place, whatever, and in that sense, everybody leaves home and you have your place. But you know something? There is usually a continuing emotional bond between a lady and her folks that is never broken. Usually. Now, when men get married, it's kind of like, well, this is something new. This is a new family. I'm the head of it. You know, it's kind of that the tie is broken. But ladies, they get married. Oh, yes, I love him. But there's always that tie back home. You ever notice that? If you've never noticed it, take me back or go back in your mind to when you first got married. Maybe you got married in summer and pretty soon fall came and the holidays came. And you come in one day and you said to your wife, honey, what are we doing for Thanksgiving? She looks at you and said, we're going to my mother's. <laughs> so, well, uh, what are we doing for Christmas? We're going to my mother's. Oh. New Year's? We're going to my mother's. She always wants to go home. Now, she loves us, but she always wants to go back home. Now, what do men want to do on holidays? Stay home. Right? That's all men want to do. Can't we just stay home for one holiday? Can't we just stay home? No, we're going to my mother's. Now, the only person who really cares about that is the man's mother who says, aren't you ever coming to my house? He doesn't care, and she never thought about it. That's the way it is. Women also tend to be hinters. You ever notice that? A woman, men, will seldom tell you exactly what she wants. She will hint. She'll just kind of throw out this little idea and you're supposed to pick it up. I'm not sure what this church is like, but I'll give you the illustration that seemed to fit best for the last church. You're driving down the road one day as a family 
And as you're going down the road, all of a sudden your wife says, there's a flea market. <laughs> and you say, uh-huh. <laughs> you ever been there? Now you know there was a message in that, right? You didn't know it, but there was. And the message was not, look at the scenery, flea markets all over. No, that wasn't it. It was pull over. <laughs> See? Just a hint. That's the way gals are. The challenge is know her, understand her as a woman because you're the leader. You see, these things we talk about, we have fun with them. I think we do have fun. And uh, I'm sure the gals would love to tell some of the things that they note about us. But the point is, our challenge is to understand her so we can minister to her. Understand what makes her tick. And listen, let's face it, you have to work at it. It's a part of love. It's a part of caring. It doesn't come naturally to us as men. We are somewhat blinded to those things. We just kind of, you know, go on through life. But our gals are here and there's some unique things about them that distinguishes them from us and we need to understand them. And then let me tell you this, you need to understand her as a woman, but as an individual. In other words, your wife, sir, has needs and problems and burdens and fears and hopes and dreams that are unique to her. And you have to care enough to seek to understand her as an individual so that you can minister to her. Love her. I think that can also be expanded. In fact, I think it has to be expanded also to our children. You ever hear somebody say something like this? You know, now there's a family and they had five kids. Four of them grew up to walk with God and one of them went the wrong direction. How could that happen? Same church, same school, same Sunday school, same parents, same family, same whatever. How could it happen? Four walk with God, one goes the wrong direction. Different child. You see, every one of our children is different, folks. Intellectually, emotionally, with regard to athletic ability, or fine arts interests, or maybe even with regard to health. Every single one of our children is different and unique. And sometimes we tend to put them all into a ball and we talk about the kids. And we do this with the kids and we do that with the kids. Now listen, every single one of your children needs to be understood for what he is, what she is, what his struggles are, what her struggles are, because you have to minister to that child one to one. Different child. Love them. And then you know what's important? That we express love. I've often thought of our Savior and the great testimony of the Scriptures. God so loved us. What if it ended there? What if the love of God was simply there in heaven? He loved us. And never did anything about it. Never expressed it. Never showed it. 
The marvel of the love of God is that he so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The love of God is put on display for us at Calvary. And anybody who looks at Christ on the cross could never doubt the love of God. But you know, it's interesting how many times you meet people who say something like this. All my life, I never once heard my dad say, I love you. Don't ever let that happen in your home. My dad never said, I love you. Now, usually they add this on. I'm sure he did. But he never said, I love you. Well, you got to tell your kids you love them. You say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then you got to show them that you love them. You got to hug them. And you got to snuggle with them. And you just got to spend time with them. You need to convince these children, I love you. And then the same thing with our wives. I love you. Psychologists say, listen to this, three tender touches a day. That's what psychologists say. Say, what? That's it? Three? Three a day, that's all you get? Man, I hope you show her that you love her. Hold her hand. Put your arm around her. Hug her. Kiss her. Tell her, honey, I love you. I'd like to suggest that men do now what they did to win their wives in the first place. Do you remember what you did to win her? Now, there might be some real duds here who didn't do anything, and lady, I don't know why you married him. <laughs> but for the most part, would you think back to what you did to win her in the first place? Remember that? I mean, every time you saw her, you wanted to put your best foot forward. I mean, what you wanted to show her you were worth it. And so, what would happen? Well, you're ready to go out. So, what do you do? You get her coat. Remember that? You used to hold her coat. Girls, remember that? You know, you'd hold her coat, get her on there, you know. I was never any good at that, but you make the effort, you know, try to get it on. And then she heads for the door. You get to the door first. Open that door. There you are, my dear. Right? You're heading for the car. Get to the car first. Open the door. Kind of snuggle her in there, you know. Close the door. Remember that? Remember the common courtesies that you displayed all the time because you were trying to win her? Whatever happened to that? Now you got a bunch of kids and you're heading out the door. It's kind of like, last one to the car is a rotten egg, you know? And everybody runs out and you run down, you get down, you get to the car and start it up. And where is she anyway, you know? And whatever happened to those common courtesies, that those few extra seconds say, I love you. I love you. Love her. If we really got this matter of love, then believe me, just about everything else would really fall into place. One of the great dangers, I think, is both for men and women that we tend to take each other for granted. It's not special anymore. Just kind of life. We take each other for granted. We don't say thank you. We don't let each other know, I need you. 
I want you, I appreciate you, you mean so much to me. It all falls by the wayside in the midst of a very busy and hectic schedule. But I want to tell you something. You and I often get caught up, men, in what's going on out there in that world, and what is going on out there really doesn't matter. What matters, it is what is happening day by day in our homes between us and our wives, us and our children. That is what life is really all about. Lover. Let's go another direction. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul gives to us the requirements for one who would serve in a pastoral capacity. And that which is a bottom line requirement for one in the ministry is an ideal for every man. Notice, if you will, verse 4, and then verse 5 is a little verse that's in parentheses because it's justifying this matter for the ministry. So verse 4 says, of one who would be in the ministry, he is to be one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. And then verse 5, parenthesis says, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? That's pretty clear, isn't it? Sir, if you can't take care of your own house, how are you ever going to be a pastor? But the challenge of verse 4 is this, one that ruleth well his own house. Now, the, the key is the term rule, which includes the concept of taking charge and giving direction. That's your role as a man. But it does not include the concept of dictatorial rule. Rather, the term means to be set before. That's the ruler. One who is set before. Uh, you don't want a pastor who's a dictator. Your family doesn't need a man who is a dictator. The challenge is one who is set before. Now listen. To whom everyone can look. For example, it would be one that somebody looks at and sees the leader as worthy of imitation. You don't want a pastor who comes to you as a church and says, All right, you people, do this, do that, go here, go there, and browbeat you. You don't want that. You want a pastor who stands before you and basically communicates this. I will walk with God. I want to serve God. I want to live for God. I want to build a testimony for God. Come, walk with me. Come, share my vision. Let's serve God. Let's build a testimony for God. That's what you want. That's what is supposed to be happening in homes where a man stands before his family and says, I am going to walk with God. I'm going to serve God. You know, in too many homes, what happens is there is a lady behind the scene always nudging her man to be more spiritual. There seems to be a lady back there saying, Honey, don't you think we ought to be faithful in church? 
Honey, don't you think we ought to be in the Bible study time? Don't you think we ought to go to the evening service? Don't you think we ought to be in the, mid, the midweek service? Honey, don't you think we ought to read the Bible more, study the Bible more, pray more? Don't you, think, don't you think we ought to do these things? And ladies, we'll talk about that tomorrow night. But is it not a tragedy that gals feel that necessity to somehow get their husbands to be more spiritual? Where is the man who stands before his family, stands before his wife and children and says, listen, I'm going to walk with God. We're going to church. We're going to be there when the doors are open. We're going to be reading the Bible and we're going to be praying. Where's the man who can say to his family, now listen, watch your daddy. I'm not perfect, but watch your daddy. Because your daddy never uses foul language. Now you learn from your daddy. Your daddy never loses control. Learn from your daddy. Your daddy lives with self-control. Learn from your daddy. There's a verse in Proverbs, can't remember the reference right now, but what a challenge it is, as a daddy speaks to his son. And here's what he says. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. What's that daddy saying? That daddy is saying, now son or daughter, you can trust me. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. I'll be there for you. I'm going to be there. Give me your heart. And as you put your trust in me, and as you give me your heart, now let your eyes observe my ways. Watch the way I live, son. Watch the way I live, daughter. And perhaps we could broaden it to a wife. Honey, watch the way I live. Because I am going to live for my God. And you see, we don't need men who are necessarily smarter than everybody. We don't need men who necessarily know how to go out and, and make all the money in the world or necessarily are the best organizers in the world. You know what we desperately need? Men of God. Just that simple. Men of God. The songwriter wrote the words, Rise up, O men of God. That's the need of the day. Men who will stand before their families and lead. Lead their families to Christ. There's a third area we want to touch on tonight, and we'll close with this. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 29. I want to share with you the context in which this verse, verse 29, is found. And then I want to share with you the application for us tonight where we live. Look at verse 29 of Matthew 12. Here's what it says. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man? And then he will spoil his house. Now the context is this. The Lord Jesus Christ is casting out demons and the false religious leaders are accusing him of doing this by the power of Satan. And the Lord Jesus responds and says, I'm not casting out demons by the power of Satan. I'm casting out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I am entering in and I'm binding Satan's power and I'm setting people free. I'm taking people out of his spiritual domain. And then he gives this principle, a principle that every single person in this room can understand. Here it is. He said, or else. How can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man? He said, and then he will spoil his house. Now, tonight you're going to get home at, oh, I'm not sure. It depends on where you live, I suppose, but uh, 9.30, 10 o'clock. And some, sometime this evening you're going to settle down for the night. And what if tonight when you got home and settled down for the evening, just about ready to go to sleep, you all of a sudden became conscious of the fact that somebody is trying to get in your house? What are you going to do? What are you going to do, sir? You will say, hey, hey, Mildred, Mildred, somebody's trying to get in. Go find out what's going on. You going to do that? Any Mildreds here? There's not a man in this place who would do that. Because every man in this room knows that if that kind of thing were to happen, it is the man's responsibility to go and confront the intruder. Every man here understands that. And if that happened, you would get up out of bed and you would go and you would some way confront the intruder and convey a message to him. I don't know how you'd do it, but I know this is the message he would get. Say, hey, if you think you're coming in here to hurt my wife, hurt my children, or steal our things, you're going to have to get by me first. Isn't that it? Every man here, I think, understands that. Recognizing this, if that intruder can get by me, then he has full access to my house. Now he can go and hurt my wife and hurt my children and steal our things. But he must bind the strong man in order to get, to get in. I wonder if we give any serious thought to how that principle might apply spiritually in our homes. Because I want to tell you something, there is an intruder. He is trying to destroy your home, your marriage, your kids. And he's having incredible success today. He's having incredible success. And the reason I said at the beginning of this message that ultimately when there are problems in the home, I believe they are to be laid at dad's feet is because of this principle. How can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man? And then he will spoil the house. Sir, so you're the strong man. You know what that means? It means you cannot, as the head of your home, you cannot ignore this place of worship. You ought to be here. You ought to be here. Learning, growing, sitting under the Word of God. You cannot afford to be a man who does not pray. You cannot afford to be a man who is not in that book. You cannot afford to be a man who gets discouraged and embittered 
and is, is quitting and throwing in the towel and, and not walking with Christ, you cannot afford to be that man because if Satan binds you, then the door opens and he comes to wage his attack against our families. You know, it's pretty serious business to be a man. Never has marriage been taken so lightly as it is taken lightly in our country today. It's serious business, sir, to become a husband. Never has the concept of bringing children into this world been taken so lightly. It is serious business to be a daddy. Very, very serious. And what is desperately needed is men who will come to grips with what it means to be a man, to be a husband, to be a dad, stop being consumed by this world and what it has to offer and get extremely serious about walking with God. That's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. Our Lord Jesus said, and I do not mean in a wrong way to play off of His words, but He said, as you know, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul. There is no more serious statement in the scriptures than that. But in the context of the things we're talking about, I would appeal to you and say, what would it profit us if we gained the whole world and lost our children? And I want you to know that's happening today. Christians in a setting like this, whose children too often grow up and go the wrong direction, Dad, get very serious about what it means to be a man, to be a husband, to be a daddy.